Well, good morning, Gulf Coast. How you doing this morning? Oh, you can do better than that. I said good morning. Oh, you can do better than that. I said good morning. I don't know how it is here at Gulf Coast, but I like when folks talk back to me, if that's okay. Now, I see you. Some of you are a little bit nervous. You said, oh, my goodness, they have a brother here this morning, you know, which means we're going to be here until next Sunday. Uh, just kidding. That is not going to be the case at all. Oh, you're looking forward to it. You said, okay, well, I can go now. We can go until next Sunday if you want to. But I won't do that to you at all. I am honored uh, to be here in this room with you uh, on this morning. And, uh, man, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Love David when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. No place I would rather be than here in the house of the Lord and here with the people of God. And even though for some of you it's my first time meeting you, if you are in Christ, you are my brother and sister in Christ, amen? And I'm looking forward to spending all of eternity together. We're all people's group, amen? Scripture says in Revelation 7, all people's tribes and tongues will be around the throne of God. No crime, no, no COVID, no health disease, none of those things. We will be able to worship with the Lord forever and forever and forever. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Well, turn to your neighbor to your right and say, aren't you glad you're sitting next to me? Aren't you glad you're sitting next to me? Aren't you glad you're sitting next to me? (laughs) Turn to your neighbor to your left and tell them the same thing. Aren't you glad you're sitting next to me? Aren't you glad you're here and you're sitting next, next to me? Well, if you're thinking about it, I would ask that you would definitely, uh, pray for us. We'll continue as a family to be praying for you here at Gulf Coast. I hear that your pastor, he's on a sabbatical, much needed um, to be able to rest. So praise God for that. Um, I do serve as a campus minister for campus ministry called the BCM at the University of South Florida. The first day of school uh, is this coming Monday. And uh, since Friday and all the way um, through this first week of school, our team uh, we've been on a rescue mission, uh, specifically to see uh, freshmen who are coming in, in on campus, man, to be rescued from death to life. We are uh, unashamedly throwing uh, tons of fun parties. You, you may think, that's crazy. Well, we believe that the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. And uh, even last night, uh, we had over 400 plus students who were in our ministry building for A scavenger hunt and breakfast at midnight. It was insane. Now, I'm thankful. I didn't have to be there, uh, but uh, we had a great team that was there in in, in my stead, and uh, meaningful connections were taking place. And every single day this week, uh, we will continue to throw uh, parties like that, specifically to engage freshmen. There are 10,000 freshmen that are brand new on campus and uh, this year, and uh, on Thursday, if you think about it, August the 25th at 7 p.m., we will have the opportunity to have a service right on campus, in the heart of campus. It's never happened before. The ministry has been around since 1960. This is the 62nd year of ministry. First time we've been able to be out on campus specifically to share the gospel I have an opportunity to do that, and uh, we will give an invitation for students, hopefully, to place their faith and trust in Christ. So if you think about it, August 25th, 7 p.m., be praying for that opportunity. Well, anybody ready for the Word of God? I'm asking again. Anybody ready for the Word of God? 
good stuff. I don't know. Before we jump into the word, have you ever thought about what the word or had to say about the word? God is so kind, first of all, that he wrote a book called the Bible. From Genesis all the to Revelation, it has been inspired by God. Every single word. And let me just uh, remind you what the word has to say about the word, the word that we're going to be in this morning in Psalm 19, verse 7. It says this, the instructions of the Lord is perfect. Say perfect. Oh, yes, renewing one's life. The testimonies of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commands of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey. Now, I like honey, but it says God's word is sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned, and by them there is great reward in keeping them. This is the word of God. And this morning, I pray that we would approach God's word with really two heart attitudes. The heart attitude, first of all, of expectation. Say expectation. That is, as we jump into God's word, that there is an expectation that God, he has something to say. And every time that we open up God's word, not only in the house of God, but man individually, as we spend time in God's word, he has something to say. It is that same expectation that I have when I go to a place, a restaurant that I believe that God has made with his hands himself. It's called uh, Chick-fil-A. You ever heard of it before? Oh, yeah, I just have uh, an expectation that when I go to Chick-fil-A, there's going to be some good service. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, my chicken sandwich and uh, my waffle fries and uh, the cookies and cream shake. Don't judge me now, all right? You say, man, you, you need to be a little bit more healthy. Well, we all going to die anyway, you know, and so I just take it in. But I just have this expectation it's going to be good, and the service is awesome. And, you know, whenever you say thank you, their response is always what? My pleasure. I love it. But even more than, uh, man, a good meal from Chick-fil-A, God's word, it is good for the soul. We ought to approach it with, with expectation. But also, one more heart attitude, and that is of surrender. Say surrender. surrender. God, whatever it is that you have to say, my yes is on the table. My yes is already on the table. This morning, I have a question for you. It won't be long, but I, I do just wonder if there's anybody here that would say, Yes to this question. Has life ever brought you to a place where you had no other option but to pray? I'll ask you again. Has life ever brought you to a place where you maybe you were in a tight spot? <laughs> you didn't have any other way out. You didn't know what else to do. The only option you had was to look up and to talk to God through prayer. Yes. Certainly, I'm not the only person that has been there. My wife, uh, Josephina, who I've been married to for seven years, then we have a picture of her we can put up on uh, uh, the screen here. That is her. We've been married for seven years. It'll be eight years this coming November. That is us on our wedding day. And if you're looking at me like, Jay, why were you crying? Man, I was boo-hooing, okay, on that day. We got married in the Dominican Republic in Punta Cana, which is uh, where my wife uh, is from. And uh, right there, man, on the beach, I'll never forget that moment. Uh, here, you know, as a groomsman, if you've been married before, you, you, you just, you watch the whole procession as it happens there. The groom is turned around until the bride comes. And so my, my pastor, uh, at the time, he was looking at me and he said, when your bride comes, okay, down this beach, uh, this is going to be a very special moment. And I said, I know, 
I know it's going to be special. He said, no, you don't know. It's going to be really special. And man in the room, I was really trying to hold it together. You know, my allergies were just coming, just overcoming me, you know, on this day, you know. <laughs> when that song um, played, the song that I knew meant my bride was coming, and my pastor, he said, turn around. And I turned around, and when she came, and I was just boo-hooing. You ever cried before? You say, of course I've cried before. You ever, have you ever tried not to cry? And the more you tried not to cry, the worse that it got, you know? That is how it was on this day. And I was just boo-hooing, man, as she came down. And it's so funny. You can see my face, and you can see her. She was looking so serious. And later when we were together, she was like, I thought you were having second guesses. I didn't know what was going on with you, you know? I said, no, no, no. It was just that she knew the good, the bad, and the ugly about me, and she kept coming anyway. And we'll be married for eight years this coming uh, November. And, man, she is my, my very best friend. Our lives changed uh, about a year ago when we discovered that my wife, she was pregnant, pregnant. You say, Jay, what do you mean pregnant, pregnant? Well, we found out that she was pregnant, pregnant. <laughs> Not just pregnant with one baby, but pregnant with two. <laughs> I think we have a sonogram we can go and show in there. Yeah, baby A and baby B. I'll never forget that the day she went into doctor's appointment because of COVID. I had to sit out in the car, and I was waiting for her, and then eventually she FaceTimed me, and uh, she was just crying. I was like, what's going on? And she said, she just, she actually didn't say anything. She just handed the phone to the nurse, and the nurse said, do you see this right here? And I didn't look like this, okay? Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was looking at. I said, I see something. And she said, well, what you're looking at is, here's baby A. And I said, okay. And she said, and here's baby B. And I still wasn't registering. I thought, maybe that's a new thing this day, you know? They just call them by, I don't know, you know? Got all kind of things going on in this day. So I just thought, I don't know what's going on, but baby A and baby B. And so she said, you're having twins. I said, what? God is a miracle worker, you know, and what you need to know just very shortly is, is that it's miraculous. My wife and I in our marriage, we've experienced two miscarriages, a long season of infertility. We've gone through grief. Never thought in a million years that this would be our story. Never thought it lost two children, and we had honestly just surrendered it and said, God, maybe it's not your will for us to have our physical children, and we are okay with that. Now, it took us a while to get there, but eventually we got to the point where we said, God, your way is better. Now, speed up to this very moment, we found out that my wife, she was pregnant with twins. It was one of the most craziest adventures last year that we've ever had in our life. We've seen more doctors than I can count. Many days we were uh, in seeing her OBGYN and then also seeing a high-risk doctor. It was a high-risk pregnancy all the way through. In fact, there was one point in the spring of last year, I was in Tennessee. My wife, she had a doctor's appointment, and I was waiting to hear how the appointment went. And so she called me, and again this time she was crying. And I said, Josephina, what's going on? How was the appointment? And she said to me, the doctor's... The doctor said that the babies are not going to make it. And i got to be honest with you, all the way through this pregnancy, because of what we experienced, there was honestly this undercurrent of just anxiety in our life, always kind of waiting for bad news to come. And so when she said this, she just cried and cried and cried. And I said, babe, what we need to do is we just need to turn it over to the Lord. 
We've seen God. We've seen his grace in loss. And we're going to ask, why don't we just ask the Lord for him to also flex his victorious muscle. For him to do something that would just, man, just wow the doctors. The doctor told her at this very appointment that um, her cervix had shortened and that she was going to go into preterm labor. And so we called folks in our church and people that we knew knew how to pray. You know those folks? You know, there's some people you don't call, you know. <laughs> but there's other folks that you know that, you know, when, they, when you call them, you ask them to pray, they just have a direct line, they seem like to heaven, you know. And so we prayed, and six days later, my wife and I, we went in to the doctor's office, and they man, did all of their assessments. We waited for the doctor to come in. This was the first appointment that the husband is actually able to come in with their spouse. And so I was there, and the doctor, he came in, and he sat down, and he looked at us, and he said, what did you do? We said, doctor, what do you mean, what did we do? He said, what did you do? I've been a doctor for a very long time, and cervix do not grow, but over the last six days, your cervix, it has grown, and the babies are perfectly fine. What did you do? A couple, we told him, doctor, what we did was we turned it over to the Lord. We asked God to do what only he could do. We said, we know that you're a doctor, we respect doctors, but we, we talk to the one who's a doctor above all doctors. And his name is God, and we ask him to flex his victorious muscle. And it looks like he did that. Well, two months later, those boys, they were born a little bit early in the NICU. We have a picture of them, and there they were, Jude and Justice, three and four pounds, very tiny, but healthy. And just a couple of weeks ago, we actually celebrated uh, their one-year birthday. Here's more of a picture of those boys right there. God is good. And God still answers prayer. He is indeed a miracle worker. Yes, he is. Every time I look at these boys, I'm reminded of a good God. And anybody who tells me that God isn't a miracle worker, <laughs> I just say, let me, tell you, let me just show you our boys right here, Jude and Justice. Let me tell you the story of what God did. Maybe you never experienced it in your life. Maybe you never experienced God, man, responding to you in prayer. But I can tell you this, I know for sure. Not because somebody else told me, but I know it for myself, that God answers prayer. He didn't necessarily have to answer the prayer of giving us children. He didn't have to do that. He chose to, and his timing is so much better, and his way is better. And even if he did not do it, he would still be a good God. Has life ever brought you to a place where you had no other option but to pray? Anybody? Maybe you are in that place even right now. And this morning, I just want to take just a few moments to look at God's word where there was a scenario where there were some folks in the book of Acts. They were in a situation where they didn't have any other option but to look to God in prayer. In Acts chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn there. In Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, I love this passage of Scripture. And we know that in the book of Acts, the church is, is where the church got its origin. God was doing all kinds of things. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus, he then ascends into heaven. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, and then the rest of the book of Acts, he sends the people of God out. 
And he works in an incredible way. People are getting saved left and right. But not everybody is happy about that. And we kind of picked that up here in Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. And after the arrest, he put him in prison. Say prison. Say it again. Say prison. <laughs> and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Verse 5 is a key verse we'll come back to again and again through uh, this morning as we study this passage. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer, say prayer, was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. And on the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. And while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison... Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, Quick! Get up! And then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him. and Put on your sandals, and he did. So, wrap up your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. And so he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. And after they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. And they went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from that Jewish, and from that that the Jewish people expected. And when he realized this, he went to the house, Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. I love this part. It's so funny to me. It cracks me up. Check this out. In verse 13, he knocked at the door in the gateway, and his servant named Rehoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she opened the door. That's not what it says. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. Now watch the people. These, are, these folks, they were interceding. They were praying, the church was, for Peter. Okay, this dude, he was on death row. And he said, listen, we got to pray for him. And so they were praying for him. They were praying that God would show up and show out. And so here comes Rahoda. She comes and she's basically saying, hey, God's answer your prayer. Peter is at the door. And what is their response? And they say, oh, praise God. No, no, he said this, you're crazy. <laughs> they told her. Now, we laugh, but isn't it interesting that sometimes even when we pray, we don't really believe that God can answer those prayers. And they said, you are crazy. But she kept insisting that it was true. And then they said, it is his angel. It's not him. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. Prayer is a game changer. You believe that? 
God still answers prayer. Anybody believe that here today? God still answers prayer. We'll get back to this passage here in just a few moments. When I was in middle school and high school, one of my favorite days of the week outside of Sunday was a Wednesday. Wednesday evening, I was born and raised, by the way, in Dayton, Ohio, and on Wednesday evening at Antioch Baptist Church, we would have Bible study and prayer meeting. I loved it. I love being able to go, and I love, man, studying God's Word alongside of, there were, first of all, the average age was like 50 and above, okay? There really was no youth group that was there, and so I love that because I was an old soul. I learned so much from all the old saints that were there who've been walking with God for a long time. And they taught me how to study God's Word. They taught me the, how God's Word is so powerful, and it's really powerful not when you just read it, but when you allow it to get into your life and transform your life. But I also love the time that before we would leave, we would get together in a circle as a, as a church family, and uh, one after another, folks would share prayer requests. And it would go something like this. Somebody would say, hey, would you pray for my son? He's very far from God these days. Uh, someone would say, would you pray for my wife? She's sick and she isn't doing well. Uh, someone would say, would you pray? Man, my job is just very tough right now. Would you pray that things would just uh, uh, would settle down and We'd pray and pray and pray, and then I would just uh, then watch how God would also answer those prayers over time. It was amazing. I'm telling you that I know that I probably would not be standing here before you today in my right mind if it wasn't for the people at Antioch who prayed for me and still pray for me to this day. You're looking at someone, by the way, whose biological mother, who I never met before, was a addicted to all kinds of drugs. Her, her primary choice was heroin. Gave birth to me on a street corner. Was a ward of a state. Went from foster home to foster home. Experienced abuse on many different levels in my life. Not, not enough time to be able to tell you. My mom, who adopted me and brought me into my forever home, before she adopted me, the case worker looked at her and said, listen, I'm not quite sure you want to adopt this child. Many, many children in, in, in his situation uh, will end up, just like their parents, addicted to drugs. And she had some reason to say that because if my mom was here, she would even tell you that I was going through withdrawals, even as a child. Had shakes, she had to swaddle me in a, in a blanket. And, but even still, she looked at that case manager and said, I'm still going to adopt him. Now, if my mom, if she was here today, she would say, Jay has some issues, but drugs is not one of those issues, Okay. God has the final say-so, but I know that God also used the faithful prayers of the people. He listened to their prayers. He had grace on my life. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One of my favorite books called Radical Together by David Platt, he quotes Isaiah 62, verse 6, where he says this, I have posted watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You will call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. After quoting that, David Platt said, I want to be a part of a people who are giving God no rest from our praying and seeking after him. I want to be a part of a people who are calling on the Lord day and night, refusing to leave God alone because we hunger for God's word in our lives and God's power in his church. 
and God's glory in all the nations. I want to give God no rest until we experience the power and the presence of God that we see in the church in the book of Acts. After reading that, I said, David, me too. I want to be a part of that. Jumping back to Acts chapter 12, as I work my way through this passage of Scripture, I asked myself, what in the world was it that made their prayers so effective? And as we seek to strengthen our prayer life today, first of all, I mean, how will we define prayer? It's interesting because uh, even as I was uh, thinking through it, prayer, I guess, can be defined in so many ways, but very simply, Just for this morning, let's define it this way. Prayer is a conversation from the heart with God. It is simply a conversation from the heart with God. It is that and so much more. Very simply for this morning, prayer is a conversation from the heart with God. Now, conversation is key. In any good conversation... It means that somebody talks and somebody is listening. And then you usually also have to switch, right, in any good conversation, that if you're the one that's doing the talking, hopefully you also have a time where you do the listening and you also allow someone else to do the talking. In my own prayer time with the Lord, there's definitely times where I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord, but there's times where I'm still with an open Bible and asking God also to speak to me. What was it that made the prayers so effective? Here is the first thing very simply. So Peter says in verse 5, was kept in prison. The prayer was being made earnestly to God. Say God. For him by the church. Here's the first thing I see here. They directed their prayers to God. What was it that made their prayers so effective? They directed their prayers to God. Not to their cousin Jabubu, okay, but to God. They didn't pick up the phone and start calling. No, 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 no. They talked to God. Ironically, though, many times our prayers often contain little thought of God himself. We fill our minds with thoughts about our own needs instead of our heavenly father. But Jesus himself encouraged us to respectfully consider whom we are praying to when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. When he said, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What? Amen. Why wouldn't we, by the way, direct our prayers to our God when in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 it says this God is able God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us somebody say amen in the house this is our God he is able what Was it that made their prayers so effective? They directed their prayers to God. They went right to him in the first place. Sometimes we run to God in the last place, what we should do in the first place. 
But they went right to him in the first place. Here's the next thing that, I, that we see here. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Here's another observation that I think we can make in this passage of Scripture that made the prayers so effective. They prayed earnestly. Your, your Bible version may say they prayed fervently, with fervency. These believers offered constant, fervent prayer on Peter's behalf. They got word that their brother, Peter, he was in a tight spot. He was on death roll, and they didn't have the keys, okay, to get into the prison to get their brother out of there. And so they talked to the person who was the, the keeper of the keys, the owner of the keys, the one who can open doors that no man can open. And they, they prayed with with earnesting. Another way to translate this verse is they prayed with agony. This is the same phrase used to describe the way Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Their prayers had intensity. It wasn't a drive-by, okay, conversation with God like we have sometimes with him. Uh, You know, uh, going back to Chick-fil-A, because the chicken is already blessed, you know. Uh, we just, we have a quick conversation with God. We just say, thank you, Lord, right? It wasn't one of those kind of prayers. No, they, they prayed, man, with fervency. Many of our prayers have no power because they have little or no heart in them. And if we put so little heart into our prayers, we cannot expect God to put much into answering them. I don't know if you've ever been to this church before, but one of my favorite churches to attend when I can in America is called Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's a church in Brooklyn, New York, where Jim Simbola is the pastor of the church. He wrote a, an old book, it's an oldie but a goodie, called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Anybody ever read that book before? An incredible book on prayer. And in the book, he actually he talks about a time when his daughter was very far away from God, and he talks about how God responded in prayer. We just read just an excerpt uh, from the book. February came one cold Tuesday night during the prayer meeting. A talk from Acts 4 about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution. We entered into a time of prayer, everyone reaching out to the Lord simultaneously. And Usher handed me a note, a young woman whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simbola, I feel impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray for your daughter. I hesitated. Was it right to change the flow of the service and focus on my personal need? Yet something in the note seemed to ring true. In a few minutes, I picked up a microphone and told the congregation what had just happened. The truth of the matter is, I said, although I haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. She thinks up is down and down is up, dark is light and light is dark. But I know God can break through to her. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Bokastav to lead us in praying for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. And as my associate began to lead the people, I stood behind him with my hands on his back. My tear ducts had run dry, but I prayed as best I knew. To describe what happened in the next minutes, 
I can only employ a metaphor. The church turned into a labor room. The sounds of women giving birth are not pleasant, but the results are wonderful. There arose a groaning, a sense of desperate determination, as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl take your hands off of her. She's coming back. I was overwhelmed. The force of that vast throng calling on God almost literally knocked me over. When I got home, that night Carol was sitting up for me. Carol was his wife. We sat at the kitchen table drinking coffee, and I said, it's over. What's over, she wondered. It's over with Chrissy. You would have had to be in the prayer meeting tonight. I tell you, if there's a God in heaven, this whole nightmare is finally over. I described what had taken place. 32 hours later, Thursday morning, as I was shaving, Carol suddenly burst at the door, her eyes wide. Go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. Chrissy's here. Yes, go down. But Carol, I go down, she urged. It's you she wants to see. I wiped off the shaving foam and headed downstairs, my heart pounding. And as I came around the corner, I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing. Cautiously, I spoke her name. Chrissy? She grabbed my pants leg, and I began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I, I, I sinned against God, she said. I, I sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly, she drew back. Daddy, she said, With a start, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? She responded, on Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything. And so she continued, in the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was headed towards this abyss. There was no bottom to it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any further as he said, I still love you. Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me on Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes, and once again I recognized the daughter we had raised. Prayer is a game changer. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And I love just the example of that story there in that book. Just his daughter who was very, very, very far away from God. There's nothing that is impossible for God. There is no one that's too far away from God that he cannot reach. God answers prayer. What was it that made their prayers so effective? They directed their prayers to God. Their prayers, they prayed with earnesty, with fervency. Here's the final thing. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. They prayed as a body. 
It's one thing to pray all by yourself. Oh, but there is power in united prayer. It's, it's, there is something amazing, man, when the church comes together and intercedes on each other's behalf. I know that for myself. I mentioned to you, it was still is etched in my memory on Wednesday night at Antioch when the church came together as a body to pray. It was powerful. You watch how God, he showed up and he showed out. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 tells us, I also tell you this. Jesus says, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. You say, what in the world does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Here's what it means. What Jesus meant is, is that if two or more people who share the same God-given burden are sure of God's will and are in agreement with the Spirit of God and one another as they pray, they will see dynamic results. Let me say it to you again. What Jesus meant is that two or more people who share the same God-given burden and are sure of God's will, and are in agreement with the Spirit of God, and want another as they pray, they will see dynamic results. Someone once said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his or her knees. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, So let us come timidly. What does it say? boldly. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. How many of you know that God, he's gracious? He's kind. He's tender. He's patient with us. There, he says, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Prayer is a conversation from the heart with God. Do you have anything on your heart this morning? Any burdens that's on your heart this morning? Maybe you you thought, man, I'm not quite sure that God can answer this one. Maybe that's one of the reasons why God has brought you here is to remind you there's nothing that's too hard for him. And whatever it is that he chooses to do, it is good. He may not necessarily answer that thing the way that you want him to, but his answer is always good for us. This morning, it's one thing to read God's word for information. But I don't think that God just wants us to read his word just for information, but for transformation. It's one thing to come together and, uh, and, and to, to read God's word and to talk about prayer, but it is another thing to say, you know what, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. We're going to spend some time talking to the Lord. That's what I thought we would do before we finish out our time together this morning. I don't know uh, if the band, if you want to come and as we wrap up our time together today. This isn't my home church, but I did get permission, okay, to do this before moving into this next part here. It may be weird, maybe for some of you, maybe it's not something that is normally done here. But prayer, it is biblical. I don't think that God wants us 
to just come to church and just fill our minds once again just with information about him. He wants us to experience him. To encounter him. And we may think that that is such a weird, that's a weird thing. Have you read your Bible? God wants us to experience him in such a unique and a powerful way. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. He is willing even now to hear what is on your heart and on your mind that is burdening you. He encourages us in his word to roll over all of our anxiety, all of our cares on him. Why? Because he cares. And that thing that's in your life right now that's consuming your mind and your heart, God cares about that. I want to give you a few moments even today to share it with him. So I ask you this morning, is God speaking to you this morning? How many of you say this morning, Jay, as we worked our way through Acts chapter 12, talking about the power of prayer, God, he's been speaking to me. Go ahead, raise your hand in the room. You say, yeah, God's been speaking to me. He's been speaking to me. He's been speaking to me all over the room. Now I ask you, what are you going to do about it? You're just going to reflect on it? That's awesome. Maybe you have something in your own heart and in your life that you need to pray about. So with the next few minutes and moments together, I'm going to open this space here that's at the front of the stage. It's going to be open for you as the Spirit leads you to get up from your seat and to spend a few minutes and moments talking to the Lord about that thing that is on your heart and on your life. Maybe you need to come as a family. Maybe you need to grab a brother or a sister that's here and grab them by the hand and say, hey, would you come with me and would you intercede for me? Whatever it is, would you obey? Certainly we could talk to God anywhere. You can talk to him from your seat. But there is something about getting up from your seat and coming to this space on your knees in a posture of just dependence and humility and saying, God, I need you. I can't, but you can. So I'm going to enter, help us enter enter into this time of prayer. And as the Spirit leads you, you come to this space here. You ready? Father, we thank you now for who you are and that there's nothing that is impossible for you. Lord, would you hear the prayers of your people as they come and pour out their heart before you in Jesus' name. If that's you, would you come? Right now, from your seat, come to this altar. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't you leave here without spending a few minutes and moments pouring out your heart before the Lord. You can come to this altar. In a few moments, the next voice you will hear will be Ryan as he wraps us up at this time of prayer.